Well, hello. Robert Goulet here. I know you were expecting to hear something a little different, but don't you worry. We'll get to the booter a little later. A lot of you know that back in 2007, I bit the dust. I met the creator, and boy was he fabulous. I'll tell you the Almighty is kind of a mix between Elton John and Eminem. Well, you know, there's that lovey-dovey side and the side that just wants to smite the Adamites. You know what I mean? But thank goodness I'm up here posthumously recording an album. The good old Angel Gabriel getting on his horn. And by God, can he play a tune. I'm coming out with a new album that you're going to have to die to hear, but I wanted to give you a little simplety sample. The name of the album, of course, is going to be Robert Goulet covers boys. That's right, I'm going to be covering all the boy bands of the early 90s and even into the 2000s. That's right, Justin Timberlake. It's gonna be me. That's right. Backstreet's back. Well, I didn't know where they were going, but I'd like to go down that alley if you know what I mean. Hmm. Hi. I want it that way. Oh yes, I do. I want it that way. Oh, that's right. I'll also be covering some great, great oldies from Boy bands like Hanson. Mm bop. Oh yes. Mbop. I don't even have to move my mouth. I can just do it with the resonance of my lips. And don't forget O Town. All or nothing at all. Well, O Town on this album, I decided to do nothing at all. That's right, I took absolutely nothing. That song sucks. It's bad. But don't you worry. Goulet's gonna be coming at ya, because guess what, I've got the right stuff. Well, One Direction, that's what makes you beautiful. Oh yes, maybe you light up my life like nobody else. So if you want to hear some melodic melodies from beyond the grave, you just join me, I'll sing your tune. Oh, bye bye bye. Yes, of course, that's how I close the album. Bye bye bye. Three words I never got to say to my producer. Ronnie, if you're listening, bye-bye-bye. Well, there you go, friends. Sonny, take it away. Hey, Booterians, Booteristas, and Booterlibers, we are so glad that you are joining us today because today is a very special episode. It is our one-year anniversary episode. We have been coming into your homes, your cars, your jogs, wherever you may listen to us for over a year, and we're going to continue. On today's show, we have a very special guest. John Banter is here with us, leadership expert, works at the University of Southern Georgia. We're going to be talking about leadership and ways in which I can lead. Judy Scheinbaum, of course, answers his questions, and we've got some Booter thoughts for you, all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Lemon Meringue Pie. Lemon Meringue Pie. Nobody's sure what meringue is, but they always love the lemon. It's now that time in the show when our guest asks Judy Scheinbaum some questions in a segment we like to call The Last Lung with Judy. Judy, you're on the Booterverse. Oh, hello, Emery. It's so good to see you, and it's so good to see John Banter, leadership educator from Georgia Southern University. John, I hear you have some questions for the old me. Shoot. I sure do, Judy. So, Judy, can you tell us about the most interesting leader that you've ever met? 
Of course, I once met George from the Beatles, Guru, and by heaven's sakes, that man was a sham. I mean, he led me into places I never thought I would go with mystical things and pipe smoking and, you know, seances and I don't, it was a curry infested time in my life and I'm not proud of it, John. Well, um, (laughs) do you consider yourself a leader? Of course, John, I'm a mother. And I'm a New Yorker, so by very definition of those two things, I am a leader. Have you ever done anything? Have you ever taken any classes on leadership? Absolutely not, John. I think people know I shoot from my ample hips. And by the way, I've got some ammunition. Seriously, there's nothing a good switch in a beehive hairdo can't fix, you know what I mean? Mm. So from a national political standpoint, what leader would you be backing in this upcoming election? Oh, John, I, you know, I'm not a political person, but I will say, I will say, I do want to finally break that glass ceiling. I tell you what, Hillary Rodham and I, uh, Clinton and I have a lot of things going. I still call her Hillary Rodham because I know that's what she likes. That's what she sends to private donors in the mail, of which I may or may not be a part. So when Mrs. Rodham calls, I am there. Seriously, it's time we break that glass ceiling for all buxom broads like myself, you know what I mean? But I will say, I do like that Donald Trump fella. You know, he's from New York as well, and, uh, you know, he's got the tower. And anybody who has a tower should also have a White House. So I'm thinking maybe the two could get together on the same ticket, and we could, you know, have a really bipartisan government. It would be nice. I believe you use the same hairstylist, too. Listen, I do know Trump's hairstylist. He's no Raul, but I will say, you know, what Donald can do with that hair, I mean, it's magnificent. I mean, how can you cover that much ground with that much hair? It's like somebody paving, you know, New Jersey. It's never done, but he did it, you know? A lot of potholes, but still, you can still drive on it. What's your favorite historical leader? Oh, well, you know what? I have always been a fan of George Washington. Hello, he was a gummer for the start, you know what I mean? Hello, some wooden teeth, and he was ready to nosh his way into office. I love him. He rode on a boat. I think a lot of people like sailors. Uh, the man had a tricornered hat. He knew fashion. You know, his wife was a millionaire, and that was back when millions of dollars weren't even seen, so what's not to love? But that's enough about that. Okay, John, it's, it's time in the show. It's the last question we have. Make it a good one, sweetie. I'm here for you. Well, Judy, as you know, I have a four-year-old daughter. Is there anything that you can give me advice on raising uh, an upstanding young lady like your own daughter? Well, listen, let me tell you what. Eliza, upstanding though she may be, does not have a ring on her finger. And I tell you what, John, get that girl married off as quickly as possible. I tell you what, I'm not a huge fan of what goes on in the Middle East, but they marry those kids off fast and quick. And I tell you what, if you're one goat hurt away from getting her married, shell out the dole, you know what I mean? So arranged marriages are what you would suggest. Sweetie, I'm not going to say that, but my rabbi might. You know what I mean? Well, that's been it. Uh, John Banta, thank you so much for being on The Last Lung with Judy. And we'll be right back right after this. I love you all. Hi, Glenn McDougall here for Golf Clubs. That's right, Golf Clubs. I tell you what, that sport is so upsetting. We have been playing it for years and still our national morale is in the crapper. You want to play around the nine? Anybody? Anybody? 
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. Again, this is a very special anniversary episode. We are one year old. Sure, we still poop in our diaper, but we're glad you're here. I have with us in the studio, John Banter, leadership educator at Georgia Southern University. John, it's great to have you on the show. Happy to be here. You know, John, when I think about leadership, I think of one thing. What's that? Myself. I feel as though I typify all things leadership oriented. Tell me, what am I doing right? Nothing. Go on. (laughs) Well, first of all, you would typically not refer to yourself as a leader because other people are the ones that promote you to leadership. Mm. Yes. Mm, But John, it's just so evident to me. Well, I mean, I would agree with that statement. Oh. So maybe I can promote you to that leadership role. I love that about you. You are a gem. Now, you are working with college students year-round. That's got to be a trying, trying venture. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say trying. I wouldn't have gotten into it if I would say it was trying. Sometimes it's challenging, but I enjoy it for the most part, yes. What's the most challenging thing about your job, do you Mm. think? Mm. I would say that the most challenging thing is probably helping people realize their potential and then helping them really access that potential. So um, the most challenging thing is when a student is, you know, not living up to their potential and you see it in them and trying to push them to realize that, that they can actually access that and live into it. Is everybody a born leader, John? No. So what if somebody who's not a born leader takes a leadership class and finds out they're not leadership material? What does that do to their ego? (laughs) Well, I did not say that they uh, wouldn't have leadership potential necessarily. I I think that um, they may not be born leaders because there's a whole argument in the leadership studies realm on whether leaders are born or made. And so most of leadership educators kind of fall into the leaders are made hence we that's what we do we help make leaders by educating them are good leaders uh often seen by the number of pleats they have in their khakis Mm. you know i don't know about that because i know a lot of great quote unquote leaders who just love those khaki pants with those pleats in it i mean that's me i mean I love that you're owning up to that stereotype yeah. and living into that role, my friend. Yes, I, I think that's a perfectly, perfectly good thing. I mean, I don't know about how many pleats. Eh, yeah, I don't know. Mm, okay. I have to invest it. Maybe that's a research topic I can look into. Absolutely. Which, I mean, I'm happy to help you facilitate your academic career, my friend. Yes. Speaking of academics, universities have become a bit of a battlefield for ideologies, uh, egos, uh, and and the like. Uh, what is one of the biggest challenges you face as as an educator trying to challenge students and yet at the same time uh, towing that fine line of not offending them? Yeah, well, that is probably one of the, the biggest challenges of teaching college students is that there's, a, there's many faculty that have a fear of what the repercussions of offending someone and not even intentionally doing so, but it's our job to challenge students in their line of thinking. So sometimes that comes across to somebody is that we may be saying something that may be offending them. Right. So if you had a student like Caitlyn Jenner, for example, how would you go about helping her realize her leadership potential? Mm. We, 
we would probably um, start by looking at um, what her values are. And so we'd kind of look at, you know, what are the things that she personally holds valuable? We'd look at what her personality type is and kind of use that as a starting point to look at herself as a leader. Then we'd look at how she uses that leadership style with working with other people. And then we'd go on from there. Do you still think she would hold the decathlon as one of those sort of prime points in her life in terms of achievement? Mm, Well, I don't know. Possibly. It could be the courageous action, if you will, that she has recently done by um, having the change that she's gone through. Mm, I like courageous actions. Well, that's what she's won an award for, so I'm just quoting other people here. Right. Um, Now... Speaking of winning awards that some people feel one might not deserve, have we started awarding our children to death? Have we given them too much, quote unquote, a fluffy success? So a participation award. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I would think so. I mean, I, I have a daughter. She's almost, she'll be five in a month here. And um, she started T-ball this year. And of course, in T-ball... At that age, they don't keep score. They just, you know, hit until all the batters hit, and then they get an award at the end of the season. And, uh, of course, I'm that person over on the sidelines just keeping track of the score and figuring out. (laughs) You're that dad. I'm like, okay, you won this time. You know, that's that's good. But I feel like without winners and losers, we don't know where that potential lies in something. We just kind of, you know, as you said, we we just kind of give too many awards for everything. So, then you never know what you're really good at. Well, and I think it's interesting, the T-ball sort of analogy, in that sense, they are still learning the fundamentals, right? I mean, that's that's part of that process. So I guess you could say that the end goal in that process may not be actually winning or losing, but it is learning the fundamentals. Yes, if the fundamentals are all chasing the ball at the same time. <laughs> Listen, John, there's a ball on the field and a bunch of girls are trying to get at it. That's not unlike this the college co-ed students. T-ball, co-ed T-ball now. We're, we're men and women, little boys and girls, if you will. So, yes, it's a... Uh, but, of course, my daughter, she would she had the perfect T-ball stance, baseball stance. You know, glove, hands on the knees, bent. And then, of course, in, oh, look, there's some dirt that I'd like to play with. And so we went from there. She but is, she looked good doing it. Well, she looked good doing it. She had the most colorful glove out there and some highlighter colored cleats on. She looked good. Is that a reflection of you or her mother? Well, I chose the glove. Her mother chose the shoes. So, yeah. I love that it's a joint effort. Yes. We, we, we try to do everything together. Yeah. And I think people know that I'm a big fan of looking good doing anything that I do. So, she has the number one first A1 priority Uh, already down pat that's right um now the dirt playing in the dirt uh, we can talk about we're in south georgia so i mean that's kind of the norm that actually helps the outfit look good so excellent a lot of red clay down there that's right Mm. and sand do you find that someone's hair height actually helps to advance their leadership potential depends on which way the wind blows indeed so if it's coming from the back, you're kind of screwed. But That's right. if it's coming from the front, perhaps you'll get that sort of windblown, sort of Angelina Jolie on the uh, Swiss Alps look. Or you could look like a poisonous caterpillar. So, I mean, either one of them, yeah. Well, a lot of times people have uh, equated the two together, uh, Miss Jolie and uh, poisonous caterpillars. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. Or Donald Trump. I mean, hey, I, I saw a recent uh, post today that... Uh, 
compared his hair blowing in the wind to a poisonous caterpillar. And being someone who's actually been stung by a poisonous caterpillar, I can say they're not fun. John, what percentage of the population has been stung by poisonous caterpillars? Mm, in the United States, probably not very many. So as a minority figure, do you find that your whiteness contributes to people looking down upon you? Hmm. From my, my uh, a- adventure with a caterpillar. John, take it from whatever standpoint you wish. Well, I will say that um, from someone who's never taken acid, that that was kind of close to the experience that I had from this, the sting of uh, a caterpillar. So I would uh, probably say that I have no clue. I thought I actually had malaria when I first uh, when I first was stung, but I never had malaria either, so I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> John, if Colorado starts to legalize poisonous caterpillars, they're going to come after you, my friend. Yeah... I think I'm going to stay away then, if that's the case. It was not a pleasant experience. Okay, well, we will just know. Uh, any junkies out there, people who enjoy a little uh, riff on the uh, White Mountain, uh, simmer yourselves down. Don't go in search of the elusive, poisonous caterpillar. You'll be worse for wear. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back right after this. Hey everybody, it's Marsha Houlihan here for Pool Noodles. That's right, I love a good pool noodle. Sometimes I mix it in with a spaghetti and my husband Walt doesn't even know the difference. That's right, God love those pool noodles. We are back with leadership educator John Banter. Now, John, you're teaching college students to lead people somewhere. What is it about leadership that makes people want to do it? And is it the very fact that we teach it, make it that much more uh, useless? (laughs) useless um no i think it's something that a lot of people think that they are leaders and so sometimes students will take a class on leadership so that they can um hone those skills if you will some students will take it just because they may be required to for a position they have on campus um but a lot of times they'll take it and they won't really know what they're getting themselves into um for instance that's how i actually got into this field um, was myself taking a class like this in college and uh, realized that uh, I had always been in leadership positions before that, but then took this a class in college and realized that, oh, this is some interesting stuff we're learning. Didn't know that there was actually a field of study in leadership. And at that time, it had just kind of been, uh, the field had been forming more as an academic master's and doctorate programs that were popping up around. So uh, that's what kind of got me into it. So as someone who does this professionally, when you see certain quote-unquote leadership gurus peddling their book or having a seminar, what do you think about that? When you, I mean, gut reaction, when you see something, where, where do you come from? Mm. So it depends on who you're talking about. So the, if you were to Google, for instance, um, leadership guru, the number one person that pops up is... I would say John Maxwell. That's correct, John Maxwell. So in... Uh, leadership academic world he's kind of seen as the uh, bastardizer of leadership if you will oh I like I like bastards so maybe you know (laughs) maybe he's my guy he I mean some of his stuff is good he kind of puts leadership out there for the masses if you will but he he definitely I always refer to it as kind of like he takes leadership and just scratches across the surface and then puts in stories to fill in the gaps 
and that's kind of how he sells books. Now he's made millions doing that, so everybody's pretty much jealous they didn't come up with that idea first. So, Well, and isn't that a kind of leadership? It is. And I'm not saying that his stuff is not useful. It's just not, it doesn't give you a complete picture. So it, it'll go into, and, and from hearing him talk most, multiple times in person, um, the difference that I've seen between him and other people that kind of do leadership on a more academic side, he talks about leadership from an I standpoint. So his stories are typically, well, I did this and this and this, and I did that and that. When I hear other people talking, it's this happened from this person did this, and it's more of a you did this, not I did this. So I'm not the person that came in and solved all the world's problems by my own leadership. Sort of like the old notion of there is no I in team. You could say that, yes. So what about individuals like Deepak Chopra who take a sort of spiritual or metaphysical uh, stance on leadership? Well, there are spiritual aspects to leadership. So that's uh, it's something that it's a, it's a touchy subject because when you bring in spiritual um, aspects, then sometimes you can be kind of seen as taking a, a more of a guru stance, if you will. And so it's not always seen as the way to go from an academic standpoint, but there are people that actually do research on to a more spiritual standpoint. I actually just um, was helping a student um, that was doing her dissertation research on a topic that was dealing with spirituality and leadership. Now, have you ever thought about opening up your own ashram and uh, having the masses flock to you? No, uh, I, I don't think that I would see that as my calling. Like a garden Buddha, just sort of sitting there dispensing wisdom from a top of mountain? Well, I do that every day. Oh, well, we are just glad that you could do that here <laughs> on the Buddhaverse. Yes, I'm, uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I should be sitting in a... In a certain stance here to, to spout my wisdom from this pulpit. So. Mm, I would love to see those legs crossed and you levitating uh, five feet in the air. But, you know, baby steps, John. Yeah, baby steps. I think people know this, John. I'm a man who loves cliché. Tell me some of your favorite leadership clichés that actually do work. Lead from behind. <laughs> Servant leadership. Is there such a thing and does it work? Servant leadership. Yeah, because I think if you ask most people, it seems very antithetical. Well, so servant leadership, I would say, is one of the things that for a long time I hated the topic of servant leadership, mainly because people misinterpret what it actually is. Did you have a bad experience at a five-star restaurant like I do from time to time? Well, I would say that more it's that um, I don't really enjoy service all that much. You don't enjoy serving, or you don't like being served? No, I enjoy being served. I see. So it's more of the, uh, when I would do service, it was more of a, I've been told to do this service. Now, when I've, as I've gotten older and chosen my own realms of service, I've learned that uh, I do enjoy service. But I think for a lot of people, people see or hear servant leadership, and I have many college students that will say, well, I'm a servant leader. They don't know what that means. They just think, oh, well, I go serve in the community and I have volunteer hours, so that makes me a servant leader. That's not what that means. So what does it mean, John? So servant leadership is more of the taking into account the needs of those people that are on your team. And so you're working to address those needs 
with your leadership. Now there's a whole lot more Robert Greenleaf, who's the kind of the, the founder of the theory on servant leadership has written a whole book about it. There's the Greenleaf center for servant leadership that goes and does a lot of work on the subject. Do they do but, a lot of pruning? Hmm. From the name, yes, I, I see that there. Good see one. what I did there? Yes, I see that. Mm. I couldn't resist. It was yeah. right. It was an open. Now, if someone was a magnanimous and delightful-looking podcast host who was also a comedian who may, from time to time, fancy himself to be a leader of some sort, of minions, of men, of women, of dogs, whatever, what steps could he or she take to be a better leader hmm. well see i would say that you are probably more of an expert shepherd of cats so i would uh say that one of the things that we would work on with you in particular was developing your emotional intelligence oh I lo- i've got a lot of emotions they run deep john they run yes. very deep uh from from pain and sorrow which i have very little of uh, to uh, egoism and delightfulness, which run rampant in my life. Just mm-hmm. streams of living water just gushing through yes, a Niagara I Fall. I see the empathy there as well. Yeah. John, I like to connect with other people. I think you know that. Uh, I think you know that I put myself first, but then very as a close second, others come, they're right there. They're right along there with me. Mm-hmm. And And lacking that humility and... There's there's some other pieces to that. I think I think well, there's a there's a puzzle that could be put together here. John, I love those good 1500 piece puzzles and I will say it is hard every day donning humility like a cloak, like a a veritable uh Jon Snow's black robe, you know, in the Game of Thrones. It's hard, but someone has to do it and I'm really I'm willing to take up that mantle. See, I, I would see you more as a 3D puzzle. That there's there's multiple dimensions to putting this puzzle together. Go on. Well, you have your your excellent uh, skills as a podcaster. If that's what I would say there. You're a flatterer, John. And, and I uh, love that. I love that. Actually. As you know, we have as we're closing out the year here. We got to we have to build up on that success. So there's a, there's that piece of the foundation and. You know, obviously the quaff of the hairs, obviously the, the pinnacle of that. So mm. yes, mm. speaking my language, sir. Could I write a book uh, entitled "A Quaffing for Dummies"? Is that where I should start my leadership uh, empire? Yeah, I think it'd be a pretty short book with a, a very limited reader base, mm. but I, I think that there's something there. You we could, could call it "Leading that. from the Follicle." <laughs> we could call it uh, bow ties or bust. Now that that could that actually could work. I could see that playing. Excellent. That's a good that's a good title. That's uh, you've heard that here. It's copyrighted. All rights reserved. Um, do a lot of people in your field wear bow ties? No. Uh, however, it is becoming more and more of a, a thing that is seen. I have a colleague that wears a bow tie every day. And uh, he, that's kind of his thing. Now, have you ever worn a bow tie? I have. So tied it myself oh. after watching a YouTube clip multiple times. But yes, I tied was it, it myself. my YouTube clip? Uh, Did I, I don't help you believe that? that that existed at the time mm. that I first learned to tie a bow tie? But mm. I would have liked to have been with you on that journey, John. Yes, I believe I have uh, sought your advice on tying a bow tie once or twice in mm. our early years. Mm. A veritable Moses leading you out of the long tie wilderness into the promised land. 
Yes, I was uh, following the fiery sky there for multiple years. I've wandered through the desert for a long time in my tidedom. So, John, what you're really saying is, to be a good leader, I just need to be me. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Well, I know nobody better qualified to be me than me. Now, you, sir, at this point in the show, we give you the opportunity to address the listening audience, and and the mic is yours, carte blanche, to say whatever you'd like. Well, I, I think that we've covered a lot of the topics here today, so I think uh, I think we'll let this close how it is. Mm, I love that, John. Letting people lead themselves into their own truth like a veritable guru that you are. Well, success to you, my friend, and we will be right back right after this. Buddha. And now for a very special anniversary Buddha thought. Well, it's been a year, my friends, and... You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a little choked up here. All right, I'm 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 not. The last time I cried was I don't know. I hold it in every decade and then let it flow like Niagara Falls. Well, my friends, it's the anniversary special. We've been with you for a year, and the only booter thought I have is one of thankfulness. I know it's not gonna be funny, but I have so many things to be thankful for. One of my guests actually slapped me once, so there's that. I've been bitten twice, and I think. I might have gotten a rare case of scurvy. It was from one of the comics, so you'll understand. I know what a lot of you are going to say. One more year, I'm a year older, but let's be honest, I still look like I'm in my mid-twenties, so what's there to be concerned about? A lot of people lament anniversaries as if it's something bad. I like to think of anniversaries as just one more year of being awesome. So why don't you do the same? So if you have an anniversary coming up or a birthday, don't think of it as something bad. Think of it as something where you could actually have a pet psychic on and read your pet's palm, or paw, as the case may be. Or think of it like getting your, your, your derriere kicked by a, a man who plays chess for a living. Or think about having a Division One basketball player on and they want to play layups. Is that, that's what that's called, right? Playing layups? Is that, is that what they do? I'm a tennis man myself. But much like life, anniversaries are like tennis matches. You know, you bat one ball here, you bat one ball there. You just hope that both balls don't get batted at the same time. You know what I mean? But we've been through a lot together, you and I. That's true. One year, wow. I mean, I think of those early episodes, they were long. They were long and hard. Like the bridge to Terabithia. It was sad. But you know what? We transcended all of that and we made a great show. And we're glad you're here. So keep on listening, my friends. And tell your friends. And for heaven's sakes, stop sending me those mustache combs in the mail. I have enough. I've got enough. We don't need any more. So happy anniversary to me and to the Booterverse. And to you, because guess what? Whether you like it or not, we're family. And that's been it for today's Booter Thought. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to thank John Banter for being on the show. We'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Of course, we'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny, who help on the production side, and to Quadrants, who composed our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, I'm also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle The Booter. And of course, we're also on Pinterest because, you know, men should be on Pinterest. Booter! I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, 
but the Booterverse is only a click away. Thank you.